Hello, my name is Michael D'Aloya, and you're listening to the Startup Lakewood Podcast. This podcast explores the trials and tribulations of Rust Belt entrepreneurs who are taking the risks and defying expectations in the great city of Lakewood, Ohio. Entrepreneurs enjoy this open, liberal, individualistic, yet supportive city. While we're not as large as our next-door neighbor, Cleveland, it doesn't mean our entrepreneurs don't have dynamic stories. They do, and this podcast captures the great giving spirit of our citizens. Vince France, the free spirit. One thing I have noticed in life is those fortunate souls who are blessed with the free spirit can teach us so much about life's passion. Vince has the passion. The passion for creativity, the passion for business, the passion for life, the passion for skateboarding. An interview I thought would focus on Vince's business turned into a conversation focused on Vince's real passion, skateboarding. It was a pretty cool chat. Let's listen into his story. Well, thanks for taking the time to be with us today on the Startup Lakewood podcast. My first question is not about business, but it's about skateboarding. You're a big advocate of skateboarding. Oh, yes, certainly. Where's the passion stem from? Well, I think uh, like a lot of people in their 40s, you started skateboarding with your friends in the 80s and, you know, no real plan. As you go up through college and you're still skateboarding and finding new challenges and I think the switch goes off once you, you know, kind of hit your kind of early 20s and you realize that you've you've traveled all over and every city you've gone to, you've met people like you and not necessarily like you. They could be very different, but if they skateboard, they are a peer. Mm-hmm. And you find that there's a, the struggle that one goes through to master a skateboard, to invent and keep up. I mean, it is just a struggle. It is, a you know, most people watch skateboarding and see a lot of falling down. And that perpetual failure and ability to get up and keep trying, that kind of, it hardens you in some ways, gives you a lot of confidence. So when you meet someone in another city and you know that they've been through that, you probably have more in common than just skateboarding. You may not be on the same political spectrum even, but you have a peer there. I think a lot of us at this age, you know, when we got into it, were any 25-year-olds skateboarding when I started skateboarding. There weren't any 44-year-olds either. And now I've, <laughs> right. you know, my heroes from the 80s are still skating and putting out content on YouTube and everything and, and in videos. So, you know, you realize that, wow, maybe this is really who I am now, that for whatever reason, that became my identity or a part of my identity, not so much just because of the culture, but because of what you go through to uh, be part of it. We learn to value that in retrospect, I think. Has skateboarding with this, I capture this essence and spirit of failure prompts success because you're just continuously trying to land the best jump or best move or whatever the case may be, that these people are driven to find success somehow, even if it's for a shared moment. I think you get addicted to the feeling of landing it, you know, making the trick that you're trying to get, and you know that it's not easy, but it's worth it. And so the failure is just part of the process. You learn a little every time you don't make it. You sometimes invent new things while you're failing. Right. Something goes wrong and you're like, wait, that's not wrong. That's just different. That's just something else than what I was trying. Still totally valid. And so 
you get this notion of like, well, I can try a thousand times. And as long as you're not afraid of, when I say afraid of failure, it's not that you're afraid of getting hurt. A lot of people aren't afraid of getting hurt physically. But I would say being okay with failing in front of a lot of people over and over and over. That means that you can fail on a larger platform. You can try a business or try to go for something where people are watching you try and you're okay with not making it because you're going to learn a lot from that try. And this has prompted you to become a significant advocate at the urban level to have amenities for the skateboarders. Now, how did this transition from active skateboarder daily going out, hitting the board to you're in front of city councils, you're you're talking to politicians about putting amenities for the skateboarders into the urban landscape? Well, it's funny because I think the first time I joined a, a group of people to go in front of city council to go get a skate park was in 1987. 1987. Our group was called the Ram- the Ramp Rats. Okay. <laughs> right. Sounds and we great. had a treasurer. We had a president. It was a group of kids. The thing is, our parents, mainly my father, was he just took the template of like, well, you know, I run a nonprofit. I know committees. You know, you, you guys got to form a board, a committee, a structure, and then go in front of your town. Well, the thing is, like in 87, half the kids quit skateboarding by 88. So <laughs> our group was gone. <laughs> A little bit of a failure, but you learn from that. The next time I was involved in something like that was when I lived in uh, Bowling Green. So probably like 98, 97, I was just a renter in Bowling Green and a lot of kids wanted to get a skateboard park. Purely all the time that we were trying to do this was for us. Like I want something to skateboard on. I wasn't thinking the kids need something. I'm like, I want something. I was not thinking, I mean, I was about, you know, 20, 24, 25 at the time. So now, you know, nowadays in Lakewood, you know, so right around 2002, I had just moved to Lakewood and I heard some kids were trying to get a skateboard park. And I'm like, oh, man, I've been through this like three or four times now and uh, never went well. Failures each time. But the world was changing a little bit, too. The numbers were much bigger. And I also realized that I was older and I could walk in and they wouldn't talk to me the same way as they did. But I applied the same structure, like let's make a committee. And there was a, uh, you know, there was a group here. Also, by then, I realized that it wasn't just for me. It was for the kids that were going to be coming. It was, you know, potentially for my kids. I didn't have kids yet. but And it was also for kids that uh, hadn't started skateboarding yet. So all the kids that were at the committee meetings or at our uh, events, that's cool. You're going to be the first ones to benefit from this. But we can't plan and design around your personal or my own personal needs. So the another one was just more of a long-term approach to what what the heck does skateboarding do for a community? Why even should public dollars support it? That kind of introspection, I guess, we learned a lot in a short amount of time. I think from 2002 to 2005, six, and the whole country was learning that as well. Lakewood now has a skate park as part of Lakewood, the general Lakewood Park. Do you use it? Do you find it to be a provocative place to go and do skateboarding? Yeah. Well, that skate park was was the first project I worked on that got done, and it was seemingly easy to do. I can't say I've skateboarded in like the last two months. I have a terrible knee problem. 
From skateboarding? Um, actually, it's more from just age and sports <laughs> from in general. We're all getting older. Yeah, yeah. It's, I didn't have an injury. Just all of a sudden, actually, I was playing baseball when it happened, when I first noticed. Every Sunday morning at Lakewood Skate Park, you will see the kind of uh, the 38, 40 and over crowd join uh, around 10 a.m. Lakewood Skate Park. And so when I go to Lakewood Skate Park, it may not be to skateboard, but it is to be around my peers and everything. We also do a skateboard camp there a couple weeks out of the summer, about four different weeks. We do a skate camp for kids. That park, Lakewood, was um, it was difficult. So the group that uh, I had joined in 2002 was because some parents wanted to get a skate park. And I just went because I lived here and I was a skater. Long story short, the mayor changed her tune and decided to support it. And so when she did, it was it was a great win for us because she had previously said, this is Mayor Kane. She came out in full support eventually and spearheaded it. It didn't get built until Mayor George came along. But we also really had to fight to get that to be made out of concrete to be there forever. And that's when we started thinking, you know, we need to make things forever, not just for us. We need to make it out of concrete because that's what skateboarding should be done on. But also because it won't cost the city anything to maintain. So in the course of that, the architecture firm that, uh, that they hired to design it, they had never designed a skate park. So they came to us a lot with their designs and, you know, we're kind of doing back and forth and everything Eventually, we uh, we realized that it was just too hard to just kind of nitpick away at getting it to be awesome. So a couple of us, four of us, just started designing the skate park ourselves in AutoCAD and gave it to the architect. So that skate park in particular, Lakewood, every dimension, every single corner, every element in there it has my hand on it. If you hate it, that's my fault. If you love it, <laughs> thank That's you. a great realization of all this history that you've had, right? Of pining for skate parks wherever you've been. And you finally get it. And you've got your, your fingerprint is on everything in that park. There's a one unique element in, in this skate park that, um, that we are especially proud of. A lot of skate parks were designed to sort of let everybody, you know, drop in on a ramp and zoom around and fly through the air and that's ultimately what you're trying to do. In the design of that skate park, we realized that we want to design something for skateboarding, not for skate parking. And skate parks were on TV, but those are to generate, you know, views. Mm -hmm. So they're like all about big stunts. We're like, there's parking lots and, and strange places around the world that people gather to skateboard on, and they weren't designed, they weren't a skate park. They're just whatever reason, for whatever reason, Love Park in Philadelphia is the the biggest example of this. Not designed for skateboarding, but people travel the world to skateboard in this plaza. There's several other plazas that were not designed for skateboarding that were really kind of um some of them were not some of them were architecturally horrible, but after skateboarders came in and started using them, they spiked a lot of activity. So when we designed Lakewood, we wanted design for skateboarding. So like, what attracts people to a spot? Why do, why do we go to these some these certain spots and not other ones? And when we go to a skate park, we're we're like oh, two hours in and we're like done. We're bored. We're leaving. And we realize a lot of it is just the standing. Like, where do you stand? Who do you mingle with? I went to University of Cincinnati. There's an awesome, iconic skateboarding spot called the Dio which stands for doctor's office, because 
over 30 plus years, maybe 40 years now, 40 years now, everybody has skateboarded in this parking lot. But the doctor's office has always changed its name. But it's always the doctor's office, <laughs> okay? Sometimes the dentist, sometimes it's someone else. And anyone that hears this podcast that skates, I mean, we're talking about people that travel the country and they swing by Clifton Boulevard in Cincinnati to go to this one random parking lot. And the doctor's office is like, why, why do these kids always come here, you know? Well, the cool <laughs> thing about it was it was just a big parking lot with a, an incline on one side. And you had to stand on one side, skate towards the bank. And then you would kind of skate around and after you did some tricks. But because everybody stood on the same side, realized that everyone's going there partly because it had all the stuff to skate on. That was cool. But you also, it fostered community. So very deliberately in the Lakewood Park design, we took the DO parking lot and we add lots more things to skate. And so there's clearly one side that everybody stands and hangs out on and pushes towards the other side as a way to initiate your run. And that standing, you're elbow to elbow with some people you don't know. And eventually, you can't help but not talk to them. And that is why I think Lakewood Skate Park, why it's special. We designed it to foster the community, not just have a place to skate. Architecturally, you know, design-wise, just looking at it visually, it's not awesome. It's not, but that, we knew that, you know. The other places that people are drawn to don't look awesome either. That was a really interesting bet. And people complain, there's no ramp. When I come back here, there's nothing to skate on. I just have to pick up my board and stand. And I mean, people complain. But whatever, you go there every Sunday, again and again and again. And we wanted that. We wanted a spot that would draw people, and it was publicly supported. How has your passion and clearly your persistence with skateboarding helped you in your entrepreneurial endeavors? For my colleagues, my peers, my friends at Skate, and that all of which went into business at some point, and this is around, this is all over the world. When you are a skateboarder, you see this brand that you love. You're like, I love this brand. I want to wear this brand, you know? And then you realize that people creating those images are like 19. They're not 44. So in the 90s, all the brands were controlled by 22 and under. So you think, well, what do I do past 19? Well, I could start a company, start a t-shirt company, start a brand. And you became really attuned to style and execution. No one was making a ton of money. It wasn't like, I'm going to make a lot of money. In a way, our heroes just went from being pro skaters into company owners. So what, what am I going to, you know, what's next for me? I was in graphic design. I was doing software development. I didn't really see how that would apply to skateboarding necessarily. But I quickly realized, like, I don't have to work for someone. I can just do my own thing. So partly, I would say, is that the notion that um, it, it gave me the confidence to just go freelance in 1996 instead of, say, 2006, where <laughs> everyone else did, <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah, I, I quit my job in 96 and went freelance because I'll just figure it out, you know? And I wasn't afraid of, of failing, which I did horribly the first year. Lost ever, all, I well, partly it's because I was in downtown Chicago and that was expensive place to live when you're starting out. And the tools to be independent as a designer back then were, just didn't exist. You can 
there was no web portfolios. I mean, I guess there was, but nobody's really. Most of the agencies were the ones that would hire you. You wouldn't get necessarily your own direct clients, you know. Certainly, there is a common thread amongst all my peers that that went on. I would say even people that, uh, you know, my friend Stosh, who worked on Lakewood Skate Park with me and started our our nonprofit. You know, he was driving a UPS truck, but man, he's constantly looking for something else to do. Like it was just burning him up. You know, pouring his creative energy into our Lakewood Skaters Association, and then uh, eventually Public Square Group, which is the nonprofit we created out of Lakewood. Finally, he, um, yeah, he bought the, the Hard Times building and turned it into the Spitfire over on 117th. So, you know, pretty much everybody was like, uh, you might be doing something, but you, in the back of your mind, you're going to go, you know, break out and do something else, something that's your own. And it's going to be terrible, you know? It's, <laughs> I mean, he hate, hates, you know, hated having the, you know, having your own business, but you're like, love it. and you're, But you're, you can withstand the, the constant barrage of, of uh, failures, I guess. <laughs> so um, I see, I coach baseball. I see kids, they're not learning this type of failure that you learn on a skateboard. At skateboard camp, I see kids learning that type of failure. And then I see their success. It may take them all week to get this one thing. If someone hits a, a home run, that's pretty awesome, you know. But it seems repeatable. It doesn't seem like it took a lot of work. They certainly been swinging for a long time. But when someone just basically drops in on a ramp the first time, the elation they get is just so pure. I watched you fall like a thousand times before that. The thing about skateboarding is the rest of the crowd is right with them. So when you see a kid drop in the ramp for the first time, you get you re-experience uh, the elation you felt and you cheer. So that's a special skateboarding thing, I think. I don't, I don't know that any other sport you can kind of reduce yourself to a, you know, a extreme noob amateur in your mind and feel like, oh, I just did something. I've done that a thousand, thousands and thousands of times. Why did I feel so awesome? Because you you relive that moment. That's you just watch someone, some kid do. And the other thing is seeing their parents see their kids succeed like that after right. all the tries. They're like, I didn't think he was ever going to do it. <laughs> I did, I was I put money. He'd never do it. You know, and I like that's that's the part of parenting and uh, the skateboarding sort of hacked through. You know, like it was sort of a sidebar around this. Like, listen, you're, you just don't have the tools to do this, kid. I can't. I I can't imagine. You can't tell from a little kid what they have the tools for. Right. And skateboarding is sort of a way for um, some kids to discover parts about themselves that you know teacher didn't tell them yet. So, how long have you been in, in Lakewood now? I moved here in 2000, so 18 years in August, and that means that I've lived here as long as I lived in my hometown before I left, so <laughs> I'm as much from Lakewood as I am from uh, Grand Rapids, Ohio. Is or does Lakewood provide a, a good environment for entrepreneurs? Yeah, and I, throughout the 18 years, I've seen a lot of things that kind of evolved and conditions that Lakewood was perfectly positioned to take advantage of. So Lakewood being an interbelt suburb, you know, when you have companies that are kind of, they're not wanting to be located out in Beachwood necessarily all the time. Lakewood sitting right here where it's sort of somewhat of suburb, somewhat urban. And that when you want to start a small company, 
that you need talent. And so Lakewood and Northeast Ohio, you know, of course, position for that. The part that I liked uh, when I first started here is because I, I had really, really started my business here. I, I was independent in Chicago and I moved around, but really I started developing a real client base in Cleveland once I moved here. I rented a place in uh, on Cranford. A really, uh, really great guy, Ken Warren, was the Lakewood Public Library Director. He recognized, he's like, man, I, I notice a lot of these freelancers are living in doubles. I remember when uh, the Lakewood Observer came out, he wrote an article. Actually, it might have been before then. He wrote an article about how Lakewood was positioned to blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I never really thought of it like that, you know, that that I just thought it was cheap rent. But he listed so many of the reasons that Lakewood would work for. He had a term for it, but it, it's basically the gig economy now, right. what we would call the gig economy. He didn't coin that term. He had a... Um, had to do with uh, social entrepreneurship, basically, like small, small independent designers, developers, or accountants teaming up to do stuff, and that you didn't need to have like a big building. You know, that was that was two thousand four when he wrote that. So really, before it hit its stride the way it is now, I see that Lakewood has a lot of churn. So when a new business starts, I mean, my office is across from uh, the Ivory Keys. Yeah, which has been like 20 different things. Yeah, exactly. But I'm like, you got to gotta keep trying. <laughs> you know? There's another place in there now, I think. It is, yeah. Sauced. Yep. Sauced, great. Sauced tap room. Pizza and uh, draft beer. No, but anyway, like I think that some people, I think Lakewood, it's not forgiving. If you want to learn if something works really quickly, if it has a chance to work, it's a good place to try. And now you're above the... You're above Geiger's. Yeah. Yeah, we have an office. We have office. It's an office. Yeah. I mean, we, my company is mo- mainly independent contractors. We have six employees, but most of our team is independent. Some of them have worked for us nearly, you know, most of their revenue comes from us, but they're they're all over all over the U.S. So we have a, when we want an office, we want a place to just get away from home. We don't right. want an office like that people pop in on, although we get pop-ins all the time. I had thought that Lakewood was awesome for that. There's so many empty storefronts. How easy it would be to just rent one of these empty storefronts, turn into a office that had no, you know, we would work out of coffee shops, but the coffee shops close eventually. 10, 10 p.m., something like that. And you also ran into a lot of people, you know, that want to talk at coffee shops. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'm one of them. I've interrupted some people. So I thought Lakewood's great with all this little tiny retail space that's street level. It was great to, well, so I did. I rented an office on Win, or on uh, Madison storefront. It was awesome. I turned it into an office. It was a corner storefront. Um, so I had these big windows and people would walk by and see all these like big, you know, Thunderbolt monitors in the window and be like, what's going on? Like, what are you selling? Like, nothing. I'm just working, you know, like, but they would think that they could walk right in. But for a while, I thought, man, Lakewood should really leverage these empty retail, like make workspaces available for people that just need to get away from the coffee shop. I want to have a meeting. I don't want to go downtown. I want to have everyone come to Lakewood. Long story short, our space above Geiger's was after learning all of that. We have a conference room. We have some offices. We can set up and shoot video. It's it's quiet, and there's restaurants all over. 
I hope that's implied by everyone listening to this that Lake was good for restaurants. <laughs> restaurants and bars every 10 feet. Yeah. One of the great stories I remember you telling me was like, yeah, I can just look out my window and I can see everyone in Lakewood walk by. Yeah. You know, people that you know, don't know, interesting characters. And it's so true. Lakewood is a main street place. Yeah. It is a street level place. That's why I think it really makes it cool, even with all these nooks and crannies. So what's the next big thing for you? Well, it's it's funny because like, I feel like there needs to be a next big thing. It's it's weird because we, you know, we're, a lot of it, we're like perfecting what we've set up to do. I'm perpetually getting involved in non-entrepreneurial things, like I'm involved in our, our baseball program in Lakewood, um, working on expanding the skateboard park. Our company, we've brought on some new people this past summer. Our clients have grown. And so partly it's like, wow, I mean, I should probably like grow my company like more deliberately. I really have not, I mean, it's just, it's been enough. It's been a good platform to do the projects I like to do. And my partner, uh, Mike in Philadelphia, we have a kind of similar, similar arrangement in uh, Philadelphia. Our office is above a coffee shop and uh, it's in a neighborhood, a South Philly neighborhood. So it's pretty much identical. He can walk to our office there and our staff can walk to the office there. As far as Lakewood goes though, my daughter just started at Lakewood High School, and she had gone to the Montessori school, roughing up until then. So I don't have any experience with Lakewood High School. I just got a tour for the first time last spring, and um, I'm amazed. I'm amazed what I saw there. And, you know, my daughter wasn't even keen on visiting there. She thought, I'll go to St. Joe's, and, you know, we were, we love Lakewood. We're like, it would be awesome if you liked high school well she we dropped her off there and she came home and she's like i want to go to lakewood this was last spring and um she loves it and i realized that this is a yet another corner of lakewood i i feel like how did i live for 18 years i didn't know how good this was that's it's a great sense of discovery about the city i feel the same way yeah. <laughs> you walk around you're like wow why am i not going into these places more and how do i yeah. discover more really great stuff so last question for you on the hot seat and I promise I'd get you out of here quick, which is uh, favorite dive bar in Lakewood. Dive bar? Well, it's hard. I would say it's got to be Kenilworth. It's a good one. Is that, That's is a that historic a place. Yeah, it's great. It's um, to the rest of the baseball coaches and a lot of other coaches. It's the office. Let's leave it at that. So <laughs> people have meetings at the office. So you're doing back, back room trades of your... <laughs> Baseball kids at uh, the kennel. I don't work. know. It's kind of a. If you go into the kennel at, at any time, you're going to run into some other coaches there, I guess. And it's grown on me the last couple of years, we'll say. <laughs> so prior to that, I don't know. I didn't really go. I didn't frequent too many, too many of the bars. I mean, unless it was like for dinner, you know. But now, um, once a couple times a uh, summer, my kids will be gone, and my wife and I have the night for. We're like, hey, let's ride our bikes around and visit some places we never get to visit. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. So I'd say the kennel. I would like to give one one other plug though for the the skate park project though. This the uh, when, we were, when we when we built the skate park in the first uh, in two thousand five. We had to cut one huge thing out of it because of the cost. And uh, it was basically a bowl, a swimming pool that you could skate in. The drainage, there's a, there's a space for it there and everything. So 
this year, finally, we are back on track to work with the city to build that. And it doesn't, it, it expands the skate park in the sense that there's more to skate, but it also, it provides, there'll be some shading structure put in there. And and I've worked on um, the Crooked River Skate Park down in Cleveland. We worked on the Bay Village Skate Park, all since building Lakewood. And we haven't really turned our attention to Lakewood Skate Park. And it's been the, kind of like the first one, the, the main one. So as far as Lakewood goes, like we, this, uh, we call it phase two, but everyone knows it's the bowl, build the bowl. We worked with the architect over the summer to design some more things for it to add uh, to add some shade, and you can see those at uh, lakewoodskatepark.com. It's just a website we set up so we could start sharing this. Vince, thanks for coming in, man, and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, this, is a, this is a great thing that you guys have started here. Really good for Lakewood, too. I want to thank all the great people involved in making this podcast, especially our guests who took the time to join us for this interview. Executive producer, me, myself, and I, producer Bridget Coyne, audio engineers Eric Coltnow and Dave Douglas. Startup Lakewood is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Subscribe to Startup Lakewood on your favorite podcast app or go to evergreenpodcast.com. And for you entrepreneurs out there, keep struggle. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.